What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest and greatest in mixed martial arts. It is Monday, January 2nd, 2023, and this week's episode, the 2022 MMA Daily Award Show. We'll talk about a very wild year in the world of mixed martial arts. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news, several fight announcements over the holiday vacation, and we will get put in our picks, of course, for the best fights, fighters, finishes, and everything in between in the world of MMA. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Double G, Happy New Year, 2023. Likewise. Um, how are you feeling? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Uh, it always takes me, like I'm sure most people, a while to get used to writing the new year. Um, but, uh, otherwise I'm pretty good. You know, I'll tell you what though, the other day I was, uh, I had to write down the date. This was still 2022 and I, and I actually literally wrote down 2013 as the year. <laughs> so I'm not, uh, time flies, time flies. <laughs> you know, so I mean, you know, just wish me luck on, on 2023. I'll, I think I'll nail it though. My thing, it doesn't matter if the weather is exactly the same. 31st to the 1st, it doesn't matter if it's like same weather, same temperature, same thing. January 1st always feels very different from December 31st. Yeah. It's just very, I don't know, mentally your mind just can't wrap, it doesn't blend together. Like April, the last day of April to the first day of May, that blends in. Yeah. December to January, always different. So, But I think because of work and all that, you know, everyone gets going depending on how what your neighborhood looks like you know kids go back to school and suddenly there's more traffic all this other stuff you know what i mean so, oh yeah yeah th- you know there's definitely a difference but natalie we got a stacked show um for this one uh obviously a lot of we'll get into the categories we'll get into a lot of fight announcements um would be remiss obviously this is our first show since uh the tragic news about uh the passing of just UFC veteran, um, a key part of the history of mixed martial arts, uh, Stefan Bonner, um, passed away on uh, December 24th, Christmas Eve. And so, Natalie, um, I'm going to pass it up on reaction and all that. I'm sure social media alerted you at some point or another uh, as the day went on. Um, Obviously, tragic news. He had that interview, I want to say last year, if not late 2021, talking about his health struggles and, you know, looking for some assistance with that. He was going through a lot and just uh, dealing with that. He obviously looked to be in rough shape. Um, people say he passed away at work, which, uh, I mean, you could just visualize that. I mean, to be on a job clocked in somewhere, anywhere, and just, you know, something happened to you. Uh, obviously heartbreaking um everyone kind of relaxed and settled in for the holiday and you get that news um just compounds all of that just very tragic but um yeah just uh i'll pass it to you before getting to you know maybe some more memories but what are your thoughts on just the news and everything excuse me yeah you know very sad especially when you look at the age of Stephen bonner and the the surprise, like, you know, it's, there have been a couple of recent deaths, you know, Rumble Johnson, where people didn't really know he was sick. That was also a surprise too, but this one was, 
um, different because I think, you know, Rumble Johnson maybe in the news in a different way. And so Stefan Bonner has sort of been coming in and out of social media with some interesting posts and interesting affiliations. And, and so this kind of just seems a little bit, um, I don't know, not darker, but just a little more sad in some ways. Um, because any considering the importance of his, his, you know, his presence in the UFC and all it's done, all he's done for, uh, for the league. So it was a surprise. The thing I, I hate about when that happens, when someone dies young unexpectedly, is then you, know, you go back and you start, you know, the way it is now with social media, you go, people start rummaging through the posts and trying to make a story out of, you know, trying to piece together the last, you know, year of someone's life. And so that's sort of what you saw too, which was, you know, I don't say it's necessary, it's expected, but it's also a little bit disappointing because, you know, you kind of just want to say, let's just stop and remember the good stuff, right? You know, we don't need to, to dig into the other stuff, but it was there. You know, there was some strange stuff going on too, but overall, a surprise, um, a sad a sad bit of news for the UFC, especially at the end of the year, for MMA in general. Um and yeah, like, you know, the, the setup to how it all went down, that must have been just just tough, man, and, and for his family and everything. Not the kind of thing you want to hear about. <clears throat> but like I said, let's, uh, you know, I'll toss it back to you to dig into the good stuff and, and why Stefan Bonner is so important, why he's in the Hall of Fame and all of that. Yeah, um, I, I do want to share, ironically, uh, back in the day, um, I want to say it was 2018, uh, if people uh, listen a lot, I'm part of uh, the promotion Smash Global here in Southern California. And he was actually our guest announcer. He was the Bruce Buffer role. And so um, I'm not going to say that I had got to have these long conversations and get to know him as a lot of people did. But I did get to interact a bit with Stefan. Um, perfectly pleasant guy, nice guy. And um, one thing I'll appreciate is that he was aware that I was also there to do a job and um, yeah, look, I, I get it. I am not the Ariel Helwanis and John Morgans of the world and I'm sure if you ask him, he may not have even remembered my name, but never, you know, it treated me with that respect that I was also there to do a job alongside him who was clearly, everyone knows who he is, everyone yeah. has seen the fight with Forrest, so... I appreciated that, and I, I just want to point that out as uh, gotten to be around the guy, nice guy, and so, you know, I, I think you should acknowledge, yeah, we lost another another good person, and I don't care that people would some say, like, oh, this happens every day. It, it is a sad thing that happens every day, and it's it's okay, and it should maybe be more acknowledged to, of all the emotions you could feel in one day from waking up to going to bed, of a little sadness because uh, the world lost a nice person. I think that's very, um, uh, I think that's very poignant. And that's all right. Um, in terms of the impact of Stefan, obviously, um, I remember writing about it, an article, and just um, on an off week, the impact of Ultimate Fighter One in the finale. Um, obviously, like it gets into now, UFC, Dana, Fertitta Brothers spent a lot of money. They produced essentially they paid for the whole show to air on Spike TV. Uh, Spike TV aired it and got the benefits, but UFC said, hey, we'll pay to make this TV show, essentially. The network didn't. Yeah. And I I did 
feel like when I did my research, there was a little bit of a thing. There was almost like, hey, you know, there was pre-production, but, you know, so, so essentially before Stefan and the guys and Diego Sanchez and them fought at the finale, there was still already talks about season two. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, the breaks are going to stop on, you know, on the finale. If it's good, yeah. we'll go. If it isn't, no, there were already talks. So I do acknowledge that there was almost, you know, a bit of revisionist history for in a good way. It makes it all the more epic. But then obviously things kind of went all systems go when Forrest and Stefan went out there and just let's just say it, they just got after it. If you watch it today, it's not the prettiest mixed martial arts, but just the heart. It, it was just a scrap. And at the time it was so accessible. It was obviously the first night on Spike TV uh, UFC was obviously still in that realm. They weren't on a network. You know, this wasn't airing on television. It was all pay-per-views and it was all, you know, it would be the thing you have to illegally stream today to find because <laughs> it's so rare, right? It, it, it's so niche. And they really just had this great fight that got a lot of ratings and obviously kind of injected some momentum and then... You see that, and now, oh, what is this UFC thing? And then you get introduced to the Chuck Liddells and the Matt Hughes and the the stars of yesteryear. Um, and obviously, he had a solid MMA career uh, post UFC. You know, he was on the he, he was commentating some stuff. He did some pro wrestling. Got involved on the business side of things. Remained friends with Forrest Griffin. Um, Obviously, a big impact. Uh, what about you? What do you want to yeah, say? Yeah, man, about him? it's <clears throat> excuse me. The impact of that fight, it's it's legendary, and you know you hear Dana White talk about it, and yeah, there's a little bit of hyperbole probably over time. Anyone who retells a story starts exaggerating, you know, parts here and there. But the one that always gets me is the the metrics of of the ratings from that night, like Dana White saying that um. It's, uh, you know, like 12 million people started tuning in, like, over every, like over, over the span of, like, six minutes or every six minutes, this ridiculous amount of people started joining in. That's, what, that's what's impressive to me is the, that part of the, of the exaggeration. And, look, we can't look at the real data, but this, the metrics for Spike TV ratings as that fight progressed over the night. You know, you always hear people like Joe Rogan talk about, like, hey, people were calling each other on the phone saying, you got to turn it on Spike TV. There's this crazy fight going on. I think it's fair to say most people hadn't seen anything like that on TV. That's the kind of thing you see in action movies. It's the kind of thing you see maybe for 30 seconds in a bar fight or on the street. You know, if if you're in those in a in a special you know wrong place wrong time scenario, but to see it on TV and compare that to what the only combat we had seen on TV before that, which is just boxing, this was something else, man. This was mind blowing, and it 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 really opened the floodgates for MMA for the UFC. And that was Stefan Bonner, right? He was the, the other half of that of that show. You know, what well what were they thinking, I wonder, is Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner, were they like thinking we gotta put on a show or were they just in the moment brawling because that's the kind of dudes that they were? Probably a little bit of both, you know? Um, but but that's if you talk about a legacy just that one fight, just that moment in time, that's a tremendous legacy to be part of that moment. And so forever, as far as MMA goes, not just UFC, Stefan Bonner is going to be 
one half of one of the most monumental, um, significant moments in in the, the way combat sports is is um, is now. Yeah, I think it's just um look, uh, full credit. He was the right guy, right time, was in the right place, and just like Forrest, they're kind of those two halves of the same coin. You're just really glad they found each other when they did, and yeah, I mean. Like you said, uh, it, there's no questioning that without that impact, maybe ratings, maybe there's not as much interest. And, in, you know, it, it's a thing. It's not like Ultimate, Ultimate Fighter 1 happened and they were on ESPN Plus the next week. It, it was a right. process, but all of those are significant steps. And there's no question that Forrest and Stefan were part of that step. And, you know, that's for Stefan Bonner. That's Stefan Bonner's forever. And,. Yeah. As obviously as this sport continues, uh, you know, there's more changes, but uh, you know, we're lucky to be in the gener- generation that we see and we know, and I think that's a big thing. So, um, rest in peace, Stefan, and just best wishes and condolences to the family and friends mm-hmm. at this time. Okay. Um, we did have a weekend of mixed martial arts. There's no easy way to transition and segue, so I'll simply just go into it to say obviously over the weekend we had Bellator versus Ryzen um 5 and 0 for the Bellator guys uh the Ryzen undercard was uh, I want to say mostly just Ryzen versus Ryzen so the real meat of that sandwich was in the main card of everything um AJ McKee, Patricio Pitbull, Archuleta, Horiguchi who is representing Bellator in this one, Gatsy Rabadanov, you know, a team Habib product he won his fight also. I guess my question, I, I will say they had almost a really good opportunity. There's no UFC, no PFL, no LFAs, no bare knuckles to go up against. And the they really had all that promotional muscle. I will say there's maybe one drawback was that because it happened overnight, the tape delay thing really killed any interest in tuning in Saturday primetime on New Year's Eve to watch the replay on Showtime in English. So you would have had to be up overnight watching a Japanese stream, if I'm not mistaken, to actually watch the event live. So I think that's the one thing that maybe hurt this one getting momentum. And then we've talked about it on New Year's Eve. It's kind of like, there's so much going on. It's hard for even MMA fans to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna sit down and watch some Bellator rather than celebrate and all this uh-huh. and that, right? That being said, obviously... um. Good night for Bellator. My question I'm going to toss to you. This is supposed to be like, oh, look how good the competition is worldwide. And yes, they're testing against each other. In the big picture, is it a good or bad thing that Bellator got the clean sweep? Well, look, for Bellator, it's a good thing. And it's a good thing for them to make a case when compared to the UFC. You know, they can say, look, we're going up against this amazing promotion uh outside of the u.s and we smoked them so what i'm telling you guys is we really are you know the 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 top one of the top promotions in in the world you know and and how you know like this will never happen but they could you know try to make a a a, a throw their hat in the ring uh for uh doing the same thing with the ufc at least just just to get the story going right not because we actually think it'll happen but for Bellator, it's a huge win. For Ryzen, okay, obviously, <laughs> that's a disappointing way to uh, end the year. But 
let's get clever. Let's get creative. If you're Ryzen and Bellator, you know, you say, all right, we had some good fights. As you said, there weren't any knockouts. So these were, it will, you know, they went to decision a lot of the fights, especially the main ones. Um, and so I'm thinking, how can we market this for next year if we're going to do this again? Ryzen's revenge, right? They want to come back for blood. They want to redeem themselves, uh, you know, defend their honor. So there's a story you can spin for next year. Will anybody care by the time we get to, you know, the end of 2023? I don't know, but that's their job to make us care. And as far as the tape delay and watching a fight um, on New Year's Eve, like if there was real money, if there were real eyeballs to put to be put on an MMA fight on New Year's Eve, the UFC would be doing it, right? You know they would. So why does Bellator, why do Bellator and Ryzen and you know PFL used to, but now they don't anymore? Why do they pick this night? I think you know. They're hoping to just get eyeballs from hardcore MMA fans that either don't have plans or are incorporating this with their plans. You know, watch a little bit, go do whatever, have fun. Or just people that, you know, stay home, which is kind of what I do now. <laughs> just stay home. But I got to tell you, I ended up just watching a, uh, you know, uh, when that was airing, just watching a new movie that I hadn't seen yet. Yeah. And it's if it had been a UFC card, if it had been like a pay-per-view, oh, yeah, you know, you better believe I would have been right there watching it, you know, quote-unquote live. Um, and so even though we were talking last week or two weeks ago about, you know, they did a, they did a good job with the poster, you know, uh, you know except for the, the issues that, that you encountered with the, the way they cut it, um, and they were doing those uh, like embedded type episodes that were very in depth, getting you excited for the fight. It still wasn't enough, right? It still wasn't enough to. It was kind of like PFL on Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, you know, somebody's thinking this is a good like. If these are the kinds of things that maybe are good ideas on paper, but they're not digging in deep enough to ask themselves the important questions like. What are the trends for people's activities on this day? And and now we're asking people to watch something that's no longer going to be live. The results will be already be in. And where's the value in that? Who's going to tune in? And like, maybe they don't even care. Maybe they have a deal with Showtime with where you know the ratings don't matter. I don't know, but it's a good. I it's a, it's a <clears throat> how do I say this? I like that they're trying different things. Um, but they need to uh, make adjustments to this end of the year plan. Um, you know, maybe do it in the U.S. so that it can actually be live. That that's one minor change they could make. But look, when you because when you lose the live element, the interest just goes way down, right? Think about the MMA community and how tuned in they are to social media. You know, getting results like everybody already knew what happened, right? By the time by the time it aired. Here. Oh, yeah, before they finish coffee. Yeah, exactly. So so I'm not trying to poop on it, the whole thing, but these are things that, you know, I want Bellator and Ryzen to consider, you know, putting this out there in the world. Um, I will say, though, the walkouts with Archuleta um, and uh, Pitbull and McKee, they were cool. They were super cool. A little clumsy, though. Like, when you're going to do something that that showy, Think about Alimale. That's rehearsed, right? 
Yeah. She comes out with everybody. They rehearse it many times. These walkouts look like they put they put the costumes on them and told them to walk out and didn't rehearse it. They didn't know how to move in the costumes. Well, Archuleta, I, I'll, I'll give him credit. He he was doing a show. Um, so all I'm saying is, if you're gonna do that really cool thing, that add that element, then you gotta you know give it proper attention so it it looks good. So you know when you think about Pitbull trying to put the sword, or AJ McKee trying to put the sword back in the sheath, like a little clumsy, it kind of takes away from it. Like you're this badass warrior, you're about to get out there and fight and you're like fumbling with your sword they may seem minor but i think it's attention to detail man every little thing matters back to you uh, i do also want to point out it's such a bigger event in um japan in remember japan, for yeah. years like pride was doing the new year's eve shows right, right. ryzen does a new year's eve show no bellator no matter what so okay. I, I do want to acknowledge it might have been also a bit of you know, as Bellator wants to grow, that co-promotion really is a bigger thing. But yeah, in the West, clearly is some... Look, if you don't have a Conor McGregor fighting, even when you do, I remember they tried really hard. Brock Lesnar, Alistair Overeem didn't have the impact they wanted. It just no. It's just a tough night, even for the big companies to do it. You notice they'd never have a New Year's Eve game in pro sports. The football's baseball, or well, baseball's non-seeding. Yeah. Football, basketball. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that that's a, just a challenge. So I want to acknowledge that though in Japan is probably bigger. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Once again, like when, when Scott Coker talks about, it, he said, co-promotion is tough to do. And one of the things that helps with Ryzen is that they do not have a broadcast partner exclusive, like on TV in the U S like you look at one championship, Bleacher Report and I believe Turner, they're kind of owned by the same company. Like, I think Turner owned Bleacher. So that whole one championship with TNT and all that, yeah. doing a co-promotion with Bellator was still difficult. Fight TV kind of got to benefit because they were just like, no, there's no real issue. One's, essentially, they're almost targeting two different markets, right? The exclusivity wasn't as difficult to negotiate, right? Um, with, uh, you know, who are our partners worldwide? It's just one site, so... I think that that helps with the Bellator Ryzen. Bellator in one, obviously that would be sick. Uh, some Bellator PFL, PFL in one, you know, obviously there's combinations you can make. Um, UFC is unlikely um, to ever get into that game. But for me, the whole 5-0 and thing, like you said, it helps Bellator, but maybe co-promotion is like, well, didn't we just prove that you guys are better? What are we... I mean, literally, you had essentially the Bellator guys beat the Ryzen champions. What more do we need? Yeah. So it's like, uh, it, it's a little bit, it, it's a little iffy, a little touchy. But um, yeah, look, I mean, I hope that this opens the door for more. I know Bellator is a big deal. Ryzen's a big thing. I want more than Bellator and Ryzen. I'll say it like that. Yeah, and exactly. I'll leave it at that for sure. Um, we had a ton of fight announcements, so we're just kind of going to touch on a lot of them. Um, so we're just going to go down one point or two on each one. Probably, uh, so one of the bigger ones, Johnny Eblen and Ana Bellator middleweight champion Johnny Eblen taking on Anatoly Tokov for the Bellator middleweight title. They are replacing the Vadim Nemkov Yol Romero fight on February 4th um, on the Fedor undercard. I believe they said Nemkov got injured. But look, Johnny's coming off the win over Musasi to win the title, undefeated 12-0, and 
Tokov is 31 and 3, seven fight win streak. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, this is a, a, a strong matchup. When I think about, you know, Bellator, it's like the, the big names still matter the most. So I am disappointed that Romero is. I mean, is he? They're not going to get him a replacement, right? He's just off the card. Yeah, yeah. I think they're just going to rebook that later. Yeah, so you know that's disappointing. Um, but okay, let's not pretend Yoel Romero is is doing you know flying knees into people's heads anymore these days. But still, I still want to see him, man. Like he's still very charismatic. He's still this specimen that's you know exceeding all expectations of, of you know the laws of physics and and all that stuff. So okay, that's disappointing. But yeah, this is a fine matchup. Uh, I, I'm gonna admit I don't, I'm not too familiar with Tokov, but that record is pretty impressive. Just on paper, 31 and three. Where has he been fighting at? <laughs> hey, this is his moment, right? A bunch of the Bellator no, guys are finding it. I just yeah. mean, like you know, that's an impressive record. Like that's, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not knocking him. I'm giving him props. Like that's a long time to have only lost three losses and that many wins. Yeah, um, once uh, like yourself, it, it would have been nice. The whole Vadim Fedor teaming up on one card factor would have been really cool too. But yeah, um, look that aside, acknowledge the fact that these are still big name. This is still talented guys. These are guys who could probably give an Alex Pereira a run for his money. Um, that being said, yeah, like when you talk about the star power, it is slightly disappointing to lose Nemkov and Yoel, but. It is what it is, right? Uh, still, at still in Inglewood, still on CBS. So I'm assuming it'll they're gonna put a little more if they can for the good night. Um, the second one, Chito Vera taking on Corey Sanhagen as the February 18th main event. About the only thing to dislike about this one is that people don't like that it's at the UFC Apex. They felt like that one really should have gotten uh, an arena somewhere for a fight night. But what are your thoughts on it? That is a really exciting fight. I feel a little bit like Chito Vera is kind of circling the, uh, what do you say? Uh, I can't remember. Circling the wagons. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Corey Sanhagen, that's a tough challenge, but I feel like Chito Vera should already be at the tippy top. But, okay, fine. Yeah, it's a great matchup. Um, being at the Apex is it's just dumb. I did see an interview with Brett Okamoto and Dana White saying, you know, Dana White saying he's going to go back out into the into the world again. So maybe they just need a little time to get their their, their gears turning. Yeah, I think that uh, it's really one of those fights that really should have been. Um, it, it just has uh, that factor. I think for Cheeto... <laughs> excuse me it really comes down to the fact that um you got those guys ahead of him you've got sean o'malley it looks like more than uh, likely henry cejudo does get aljermaine sterling so it's kind of like look he fought in july uh he, he wasn't gonna wait he was always gonna need to get somebody i do think sean o'malley is like hey i'm not gonna fight cheeto unless one of us has the title okay then let's just move on there's obviously a lot of good bantamweights I think this is big. I think that this is a fight that really builds both of them. If Cheeto keeps rolling, if Sanhagen obviously gets a good performance, obviously he was having a bit of a tough time with Song um, in his last fight last year. So I do think that it is a good fight to happen at this time. 
once again, I think the Apex thing is just, um, you feel like they deserve that crowd. And I'm going to hope, uh, I'm, like you said, they're, they're working on it. I'm assuming they are going to figure this out as the year goes on. But for sure, you kind of hope that January 1st, like after January, like, hey, let's, um, you know, where are we going? You know, are we going to New York, New Jersey, uh, Alabama, Tennessee, you know, back to old places we used to go. Let's do it. Right, yeah. Dana White says Africa, so, you know, that's good, too. I I, I get the impression they're going to hit the road more. I just don't know. I, I don't know. Like, more is such a relative term. Like, if they still have 20 Apex events, even though they have, like, 40, 50 UFC cards, it's still going to feel like they're in the Apex a lot, but I, I get it, you know? It's really tough. Um, The next one... Tyler Santos coming back to action against Aaron Blanchfield, also on that February 18th card. This one is huge because the jump for Aaron to go from Molly McCann in in New York to now, our, you know, a woman who is, let, let's just say it, she was probably on her way to beating Valentina. Some people still thought you could have given her the decision win over Valentina last year. Th- this is a big one. Obviously, for Tyla, you win this one, most likely you get another crack at the title. For Aaron Blanchfield, you could make the case. You beat Tyla Santos. Remember, Alexa Grasso and Manon Fioto are both not booked yet. And there's question on whether or not they'll be booked against each other. We don't know where, in particular, Valentina is at. I'm not saying that... Aaron wins or Tyler wins, they are getting the next title shot. I think Valentina will still fight Alexa or Manon. That being said, you got to think that despite the strong resume right now from Alexa or Manon, Aaron, even though she's still new to the game and still so young, she could easily bump one of them out of there if she looks good against Tyler. What are your thoughts? That's exactly right. She really impressed me against Molly, like big time. And, you know, Tyla obviously went toe-to-toe with Shevchenko. So if Tyla wins and it's not boring, she'll, I think she'll get back in line there. Um, but, yeah, if Aaron does something spectacular, she could jump them for sure. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. I hope they're the co-main event in particular for that fight. So uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, the next one, Derek Brunson against Dracus Duplessis. Dracus making, you know, Fight-wise, he's got some time, but announcement-wise, very quick turnaround to get a fight with Derek Brunson. March 4th, UFC 285, so that's expected to be the Nganu John Jones card, but we haven't confirmed that, so I'm not trying to count the chickens before they hatch, but I really want these chickens to hatch. Anyway, talking about this one, obviously Derek Brunson, he kind of reneged on his comment last year. He said, hey, one more fight, title, no title, I'm retiring. Came back recently, said, um, I changed my mind. We're going four fights, 2023, retirement. Let You know, I'm still in a good part of my career. Okay. Dracus, coming off that exciting win over Darren Till, you consider the fact that Derek Brunson, that fight with Jared Cannonier, was a title eliminator. Dracus wins this one, easily starts to put him in that short list for the middleweight title. You start talking about opponents like a Robert Whitaker, like an Adesanya, you know, like Jared Cannonier to potentially get a title shot late, maybe not 2023, but get that fight that gets you a title shot in 24, which I think is a huge spot. 
And obviously for Derek, it would be a great bounce back victory. He'd be coming in at a great time in the middleweight division while there seems to be a bit of this turnover. So it does make for a very interesting time. Also with the wrestling against a guy like Alex Pereira, you gotta think he'd seize the advantages of being in a fight like that. So big fight for both men. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I'm not, not much to add there. I mean, that's a big fight. Uh, I hadn't heard about Brunson saying, you know, he would retire after the next one, but, you know, fighters. The, the way they beat up their bodies and all that they go through, like, not surprised you would say something like that and then maybe think, no, oh, I still got a little more in me, and that's, that's not uncommon. So we'll see how that shakes out. But, yeah, that's a good matchup, man. I'm okay with that. Yeah, of Also, course. props to your pronunciation. <laughs> Duplessis. Yeah, I remember he was. Uh, I, I Loki asked him at a media day, and he said it is Drakus Duplessis, and I'm like, yes, sir. You know, bonjour. Mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know he's South African, but he says it with that accent that just yeah. makes it all right. I get it, Drakus. I, I got you, man. <laughs> um, uh, finally, I want to touch on this one, Kamaru Usman. He's I forget if he's part owner or what, but essentially he's part of this promotion in Africa. And he made a appearance sporting a brace on his hand. So I'm sure you've seen on the internet, there is a lot of talk about him being injured and not being available to fight Leon Edwards in March. There's obviously talk about Jorge Masvidal. I think that is more the smoke. However, it looks like the embers are true that Kamaru may be on the fence. If I had to take a guess... They are honestly trying to wait and see if he can recover soon enough to have a really abbreviated camp and take on Leon. I'm going to throw it out there. It's hard for me to see Kamaru at this stage of the game say, I'm going to rush into a title fight. That, so I'm going to now toss it to you. Let's say that Kamaru isn't ready for mid-late March to fight Leon. Who do you think that they should give that title shot to? Uh, you know, first of all, yes, Kamara will not do last minute short notice uh, rematch. No way. Uh, who should they give it to Leon? Should Usman not be ready? I mean, Colby Covington, I guess. I'm looking at the rankings. That's an option. Hamzat? Why am I not sure if he has anything going on right now? Yeah, he's talking. He said people are turning him down. Yeah. Okay, my. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. Colby, Hamza, Bilal, and Gilbert are good ones too, but I wouldn't mind seeing Steven Thompson. I don't know if Leon would be up for that, but, you know, if, if it's short notice, I feel like it would be beneficial, most beneficial for, for Wonderboy to take the fight. I, I will say, I think that um, th- there's so many question marks around Colby. If Usman's not ready, you have to imagine Colby has to. It has to cross his mind. How could it not like, hey, like, I know I've been through a lot, but this could be the perfect opportunity. For my money, the Uz, sorry, the Hamzat fight should be the one. It's kind of lined up. There's obviously the history. And then if you're UFC, you kind of come out of it potentially with a great situation. You could easily make Usman Hamzat, Colby Hamzat. Um, th- there's just options there. You could even talk Hamzat wins that one. Let's say Adesanya, some, you know, he's not ready. They really want Alex Pereira. And Hamzat says, I'm going to go back to back. Let's say I beat Leon, try to fight Pereira. 
there's got to yeah, yeah there's got to be a lot of talks going on you got to think these guys are trying to shoot their shots get their ducks in a row try to set up some major fights but Hamzat feels like it would be the biggest fight Colby in the UK against Leon it would kind of be like that whole I'm not saying they feel this way about us anymore it's been a long time but the whole it would be like the American Revolution in reverse like, you yeah. know, like uh, Colby coming over to take on whatever he calls Leon. He has a nickname for him. I forget. But just like, oh, my gosh, it, it would just be scenes, I think, to see Colby try to do his thing in particular in the United Kingdom against their now beloved welterweight champion. I think it would just create for quite a scene. But the fact that he's been so MIA, I have to imagine UFC is like, bro, we we just don't have confidence in you right this minute. So. Yeah, why is he like, it seems like I'm not, this is just how it seems to a random outsider like me. Like he's hiding after the Masvidal thing, like he's traumatized, like he's, I don't know what it is, but it, I I just cannot separate it from the Masvidal ambush, his, his, his silence, his like, you know, disappearance. So whatever it is, it's very strange. I don't know if it's actually like this, but it almost feels like, is he worried about retaliation in public because he went through with the legal stuff with Jorge? I really don't know. Um, Last time I heard all the guys who usually talk to him, James Lynch said it. He gets interviews with Colby. So do the submission radio guys. James Lynch says uh, Colby has not responded to either of them. Wow. And so obviously it's like wherever he is, he's been very just quiet. Um, I don't know why. I, I also feel like this is the worst time to be quiet. It almost feels like you could really make something happen if Usman's injured. But that says to me, if there is some issue going on, take him off the board. And it's Hamzat or Bilal for that title fight. Yeah. And Hamzat being the bigger choice. And yeah, I mean, January 2nd, about two and a half months to make 170. If they Let's say they work on that and they announce it tomorrow. I mean, how much more time do you need? How much more time do you want, you know? Yeah. If you're Hamzat, yeah. so I guess we'll find out. Side note, the all that like body cam footage that's coming out of the arrest, is that were you I know it's coming out of cage side. Were you uh were you a part of that? No, 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 no. I, I know someone else like released all that with uh Masvidal. Yeah. No, that that's all been sent out. I guess it was made like public like it came out and then people had it, um, oh, but I okay. wasn't part of getting that story out there. I was the cage side feet, so I was like, oh, damn, they like, really bribe a cop? No, 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 no. <laughs> I think they go, I think TMZ or Junkie had it first. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just, I'm I, so out of touch. Okay, I appreciate that, though. I appreciate you think that. <laughs> Double G got the hookup with the oh, we Miami do. PD. Let me tell you something. We... <laughs> that whole grease and palms like if i were to try to do the whole thing like at a restaurant like hey there's a long wait list and you know like you shake the hand with the money in your palm i'd be true like the guy with like a five not a 50 trying to get a table (laughs) like i don't got that for miami police department i'm sorry to say yeah um natalie uh we got some mma awards to give out so i will say 2022 very interesting one maybe not the most dramatic because some of the bigger names the Connors and all that we were waiting to see but still some great performances to acknowledge so we're gonna start it we're gonna build up that momentum we're gonna start most unusual story of the year usually I like to call it the WTF category 
Um, I'm going to go first with this one. My pick, most unusual news story, had to be UFC 279, September. Um, Friday morning at 7 o'clock, everything was all systems go. Hamzat, Nate Diaz, Tony, Li Jingliang, uh, Kevin Holland, Daniel Rodriguez. By 9 a.m., we just are, or maybe 10 o'clock, it is confirmed none of this is going to happen. Hamzat's off weight. Guys are just, the deck is being shuffled as we speak. Everyone knows for sure something's going on. I can see Kevin Holland clearly, I don't want to say distraught, but clearly there's something urgent going on. Something's happening. Then by 4 o'clock that afternoon, like 10 minutes before weigh-ins are set to start, Dana White goes on IG and said, your new main event is Diaz versus Tony. Hamzat's fighting Holland. It just became this whole just wow, right? Like, what else can I say about this? It, it just got really wild. Um, yeah. Unprecedented to have such a big event shuffle the opponents. And I'll say it, the thing that was the icing on the cake, it, it hurt the event. You had guys on full camps getting opponents who now were short notice. You had, you know, stylistically the change-up, Hamzat to Holland, and it was supposed to be the break breakout, I think, for Hamzat. Like, he's going to whoop a superstar in Nate Diaz, and he's going to shoot his shot, welterweight, middleweight, get him somebody. And instead, he kind of came out of that dominant but the villain of the game. And it's like, it was just wild to me. What about you? Yeah, he was the villain because he was unapologetic. You know, it, it would have completely been a different story if he had just been, you know, expressed some, an ounce of remorse, but he wasn't having it. And like we said at the time, he caused this whole stir up, all this chaos, and he's the only one that didn't even get punched once. Everyone else got beat up. Everyone else had to, you know, cram session a new opponent. And as a result, yeah, disappointing you know, the, the fights were fine. Like, if you had put those fights, those exact fights that we saw, that we paid seventy four ninety nine, soon to be seventy nine ninety nine, for, on a different pay-per-view card, if they, you know, that was our expectation. That's one thing. But it all got mixed up. New matchup, you don't want to take a chance with a new opponent that you know basically nothing about. And so we had very patient, slow and steady, you know, decision fights, except for Hamzat. And so it was a big bummer, right? It was a big bummer. And just crazy, man. Just just unseen ever before something like this. And I guess you give props to the matchmakers for stacking the weight classes in such a way that you could do this, you know, assortment, this, this rejiggering, because if they hadn't done that, it would have been cancellations as opposed to, you know, adjustments. But it was definitely uh, madness is right. It was definitely madness. Uh, what was your news story of the year, Miss Zamudio? So, or unusual story. Sorry, unusual story. Yeah, this one is uh, a late, a late to the to the year. Just came in under the wire, but it was so strange to me the way that I know I shouldn't be you know, making news out of news reporters, but Errol Hawani's feud with Patty Pimblett is the most unusual story for me this year because not only did it come out of left field, 
but you know this new Helwani that's been since he departed ESPN and back with MMA fighting, unabashed, you know, just free. Uh, what does he call himself? Hilwani, right? Yeah. Just free, throwing, uh, pulling no punches. And it's the kind of freedom that he's exhibiting is the kind of freedom that probably most people wish they had at work, where they could completely call somebody out for any error, any lie, any mistake, and do it without any trepidation whatsoever. And so, you know, if you're sort of caught up or not, the, the quick version is uh, Patty Pimblett's manager asked Ariel Helwani to present him with a budget in order to interview Patty Pimblett, and that's wildly unheard of in the media world to pay an interview guest, especially in the sports world. And uh, this sent Helwani off on a tear, and then Patty went off on a tear talking to Dana White, talking smack about Helwani. And just going back and forth. The reason it's unusual is because of how what good friends they seem to be or how friendly they seem to be. And then all of a sudden, they just hate each other. And it's the, the conflict is escalating all the way to the point of Patty Pimblett bringing it up in his victory interview with Joe Rogan. So um, it's, it's bizarre. It's strange. And I, I have a feeling that it's going to just keep going. Patty's not going to back down on hating him. And now that he has Dana White on his side, I think he's just going to feel emboldened to continue. And Helwani's not going to back down either because, as we know, he has the receipts. So when you have the receipts and you have the freedom to show the receipts, um, you have nothing to fear. And that's where Helwani is right now. What did you think of my pick? <laughs> I, I will say I, I felt like there's got to be something crazier that happened <laughs> when I saw it. But then I was like, you know what? That was pretty different. Um, I don't mind it. Um, I, I will say, yeah, I was like, you know, Helwani kind of responded on his show. And I'm like, respectfully to the two of you, I almost felt like both of you are living rent free in the other, which by that category, can we not just come together and live in harmony? Right. <laughs> but OK, yeah, clearly just um, look, they I, I respect why Ariel is defending his stance, especially when you got the receipts. I already said my piece about the Patty thing the week that it happened. It, to be compensated for your time when you are a bigger deal like he is, is not unheard of. That being said, it's such a slippery slope about being paid to be interviewed that it's just, there's a reason why you just don't do it in journalism. Um, obviously, entertainment and all that, like, you know, if you're going on late night TV and you're not with the broadcast partner, I imagine there's some negotiating going on sometimes, but for the most part, it's like, all right, come on now. Um, so to have this happen, particularly with two fighters of this stature, or not fighters, but two individuals in our game of this stature, I was just like, oh, this is... To have it so public, and I'll say it as someone who's part of the media room, we all knew what was going on when we interviewed Patty at Media Day. I would be remiss if I didn't say I felt like there was this collective agreement like, you know what, that's a you and Ariel thing. Y'all, you're not going to take our time now talking yeah. about you. I'll say it felt like we're not about to spend our time talking about your beef with another reporter another who, isn't, reporter. E who yeah. isn't even here. Right. So I was like, OK, like, I think that that just is what happened on the show. And like I said, I, I get where Ariel is coming from. I get 
where the patty thing happened, but the whole thing came off just like, oi, 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 what is this, you know? It's uncomfortable, man, yeah. Fighters don't, the reporters don't fight. Even Oscar Willis said his thing is one and done, you know? It's like, bro, like, what, what, we should, we're not supposed to beef. Right, it's, don't make yourself part of the story. We're right? reporters, what the heck are we beefing? Oh man, that fight's gonna be good. They're not gonna fight. <laughs> They're just gonna talk online. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. but I get why people love it. It's because we love gossip and drama. Oh yeah. All right, I'm good with that. It was a good week. Anyway, um, new story of the year. We both had the same one, so nice and easy. James Krause, betting scandal. Um, to me, the fallout, like, you see that Jeff Molina is now suspended, who's a Glory MMA James Krause guy. Um, I don't remember his bio to confirm this, but another fighter who had beef with Jeff did say that Jeff was suspended and Jeff used to have the, in his bio, degenerate gambler. And I was like, oof. <laughs> you know, like, even I felt that one to the gut, you know? Okay. It's just created this really awkward thing, but I think it's about the president, right? It's about, you have all these fighters with this bad MGM or better and all this <laughs> other stuff, steak and lobster whatever the other company is called (laughs) um you get my point Mm -hmm. and it's all of these guys who in this era of fighter pay well hey this is a perfect side hustle this is something we know so much better than most of the public and now they can't even get involved in it because of the james Krause stuff it's like it's um i don't know if game changing is the phrase i'd use but it's certainly unprecedented that it's this level of punishment for this particular infraction. And Dana White kind of said it. Oh, are you going to be suspended for six months? And he's like, no, the punishment is federal prison. Yeah. And it's like, all right, say no more. And I will say no more. What about you? Yeah, it's the thing about this is that it's just this is just the tip of the iceberg, right? We're going to see this unfold throughout the rest of next year. and And there will be probably new policy. I mean, UFC already scrambling came out with one at the end of this year, November or December, I can't remember when, which is something they should have done from the beginning. They just, excuse me, they were happy to look the other way until, you know, then they got a knock on the door saying, uh, you need to keep your people in check. And then they, they, they wash their hands of it and say, Oh, no, look at our policy. Uh, you know, this guy, um, uh, we're going to ban him and we're going to make sure the commissions ban him and all his fighters. You know, we had nothing to do with it or, or you know, anything like that. So we're going to see how this rolls out next year. James Krause is, is just the one that was too loud and proud about his activities. <clears throat> Easy target. And obviously, you know, some really uh, fishy activity with, I can't remember the fighter that, that sort of kicked off this whole investigation. Derek Minner. Yes, thank you. Um, what shocks me is that I don't know the parameters of where, you know, like the Venn diagram of, of where the government mixes with the commissions, with the promotions and, and the gyms, like who is, who is actually banning fighters from gyms or fighters associated with James Krause from competing in, 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 in sanctioned fight states uh, with the like, who who is the power, the governing body that's banning them? Is it just the UFC saying you can't fight for us? 
So is remember it... that if you're under investigation, UFC is the one who stops you. However, okay. that's just okay. That that's under. Uh, what's a good way to put it? Okay. If the cops were to say I am under suspicion. And that gets to my job. There's a good chance my job says, hey, we don't know if you, I don't know, pick a crime that gets people banned from work. Until you're proven guilty, I don't think it's a good thing you come into work, Gabriel. Yeah. All right. Shop shoplifting underwear. Whatever. Yes, sure. <laughs> hey, have you seen the prices? No, oh, no, um, my goodness. no but um, okay, yeah, perfectly good one. Let's go with that. And then, obviously, though, it's not my job that would be sending me to jail. It is, you know, the county and the state and th those powers that be. Right. In the same way, the to mess with gambling is a federal crime because the whole point is that there's so much money involved and it is almost like you're committing not just a personal crime, but it's almost like robbing a bank. Right. Because the whole point of gambling is that there's regulation, right? Like... You know, there's a whole governing body that allows Vegas and all that to do it. Um, so I think that that's something to acknowledge. I do get what you mean. The, the Venn diagram doesn't feel like it's very clear all the time. But essentially, that's what it comes down to is that like, hey, you know, they have agencies, the government, that are part of the gambling part. And so obviously, when an infraction is taken against them, that's how the route from government to individual reaches when you commit a gambling offense. So, yeah, yeah. But um, no, I here's the thing. Um, my prediction, uh, from the impression I'm getting, James Krause will separate himself as completely as necessary to allow the Glory MMA team to keep fighting. Case by case, him, Jeff, Minner, whoever. There is clearly going to be a case-by-case -case situation with how many fighters actually get to return to fighting and how many may face levels of punishment. Um, you know, anything can go. Any, any of these guys could hit federal prison. Any of these guys could just be suspended for something. This is all going to be case-by-case. -case. How much can they prove what they said and what, was, what actions were taken from what they said in regards to were they injured, were they not, was it this, was it that, what did I know, what did I not. Yeah. All of that is going to be case by case because what else can they do? They're not going to all come together. We didn't say nothing. That's clearly not true. Yeah. Um, we all said everything. That's clearly not true. Everyone's going to have to make their choice in the middle and what could happen, that's anyone's guess. But Glory MMA, they will figure that out. James and individuals, that's another story. That remains to be seen. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. It's going to get good. Um, next one, submission of the year. I'm going to let you go first because uh, you had a pretty nice one. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, mine was... Uh, so, I think I do this every year. I don't usually pick the coolest sub, uh, submission for submission of the year. I always pick the one that had the most impact or a lot of impact. So, I picked uh, Jiri's Rear Naked Choke of Glover Teixeira, round five, you know... Of the championship fight, Teixeira was winning. I think he was up three rounds uh, at this point. And he hurts Jiri with some punches, goes for a guillotine. Everyone's sweaty. He loses grip. Jiri ends up on top, and it was like the slowest, most easy transition from, I can't remember what he was trying to do first, head and arm or something. 
Then he then Glover spins around, jury takes his back, boom, it's over, just like that. And so the shock of the 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 victory, the shock of it being a rear naked choke, the submission against Glover, all of that for me makes it submission of the year. And you know, then there's more drama that came from that victory with Jerry getting injured and all that stuff, but uh, for his rematch. But this was just it was just a quiet stunner. And Teixeira had it all but one. And then back to the drawing board. So uh, that's my pick. What about yours, Double G? Or what did you think of that one anyway? I'll, I'll ask you that I first. mean, I, I am going to talk more about Yuri and Glover for another fight but the, or another category, but that's a story for later in the show. Um, no, obviously, so dramatic. And I give full credit on that. That's a great pick if you went with it. Um, not just you specifically, Natalie, but anyone. Yeah. It was so epic. The context, the fact that you know who has Glo- who has Yiri submitting Glover in the fifth round. I'm sure if you bet on that, it was huge, just because the likelihood, you know, what's gonna happen. Yiri's gonna knock him out, or Glover's gonna submit him. If it goes late, it's probably because Yiri's tired and Glover would get the late submission. Yiri submitting Glover after he was down in the fifth round. What? It was just epic. So certainly for the drama ending by submission, perfectly great one. Particularly when you look at Leon Edwards, Alex Pereira, you know, okay, they were... If you told me Alex Pereira is going to sub Adesanya, eh, maybe not. He's going to knock him out? Okay, I could see that. Leon, same thing with Usman. Submit him? Eh, knock him out? Okay, let's see. Um, you know, he's a striker, right? Even though he hadn't had finishes in a long time. So, Yuri Glover, like it perfectly well. Yeah. I uh, am the opposite. I love my degree of difficulty. Yeah. Um, I'm going to butcher his name. Luca Poklet, the Lucanator against yeah. um, Dante Shiro in Bellator. Um, this one, I mean, one, like I said, the Lucanator, officially it was modified arm triangle. When I watch it back, it's like inverted one arm guillotine something it's just i i'm looking at it and i still if you were to roll with me i don't know that i could even get that angle correct it's like there's <laughs> another limb that we don't know about that he used to get this submission fact is go watch it i know it didn't get the love because it wasn't a usc uh, submission it was sick it was really cool i really liked it I love, uh, you know, high degree difficulty submissions. Um, so yeah, Luca Nader for the win. That was beautiful. Um, I think he's fighting the guy who did the buggy choke, who was like the runner-up submission of the year. So I think it's great. Let's see it. So, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, that was crazy, man. First of all, it's a great, uh, great nickname, Luca Nader. Uh, that submission, like especially the angle that the camera had on it. I couldn't even tell, like, you know, just going to watch the highlight, obviously. I couldn't even tell who exactly had the, the choke. And it wasn't until <clears throat> uh, Luca starts actually separating himself. I was like, oh, he's the guy that was that was implementing the choke. Because it was, they were just like a tangled up, you know, heads. High, like, you couldn't even see either head. It was one arm overhead and one head tucked under. It's crazy, dude. When he gets unfurled from his uh from from dante and you know dante's eyes were basically rolling in the back of his head uh yeah that's crazy i don't i don't know if it's uh it's like 
like you said, it's kind of one of those where you don't even know how you get into that position. But, you know, it's probably a perfect combination of Luca being very skilled in that submission, in that position, and Dante not really. And so he doesn't even know what's happening to him. And then before it's too late, he's locked in this weird thing, doesn't know what to do, and then he's he's gone to sleep. Yeah, it, it was just a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It just made for a lot of good stuff. Good social media fodder. Um, only thing nicer sometimes than a submission is the knockout. Knockout of the year. This one, you know, I was torn because I kind of like with yours with the submission, there was some high-profile knockouts that I was really tempted. I really like Leon Edwards, but for me, just the... Just the impact of how I felt it personally, like I got invested in it. Michael Chandler's knockout of Tony Ferguson still takes the cake. Like, obviously, there's just, there was so much investment in Tony Ferguson. He really needed the win. He came out and looked good. Um, the unexpectedness, I mean, Michael Chandler with a front kick like he's Anderson Silva. I mean, that's a more stout guy. You know, he's stockier. He's not the tall, long striker, if I'm being quite honest with you. So for him to pull that one out of the hat, the way he did, how he did it, I mean, yeah, you know, Michael kind of had to hold off competition, but he takes the cake. I gave him knockout of the year. What about you? Yeah, it was freaking awesome, dude. Unexpected, of course. Those are always the best ones. Um, And he was losing. Like, that's the crazy thing is you think about how Tony Ferguson's career has gone in the last couple of years. Not great. But he always has... Uh, he mostly has had strong showings in the last couple of fights, even though he doesn't win them. And this one in particular, he was on his way to winning. You know, Michael Chandler puts on a great show every time, but he's sort of become this guy who puts it all out there to the point where he can't defend anything coming his way. And then he inevitably loses. And that's kind of what was happening. And he pulled this one out, man. Talk about a Hail Mary. Just plop-bam throw up the kick in the post-fight interview he says you know admits that it's not something he really practices but you know it was there um those wicked knockouts especially those those front kick ones yeah like silva machita they knock you out before you even hit the canvas they're just they're vicious man and this this was a really 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 wicked one so yeah good pick good pick yeah, it was a good one, but what about you? I think you had a good one also. Yeah, mine was uh, Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman for the championship. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I think it's still pretty fresh in our minds. Kamaru Usman was owning Edwards. I think Edwards might have won the first round, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he did. And But then after that, it was just all Kamaru. And the end of the fourth round, Kamaru Usman corners Leon, starts punching him walks away like the king, walks away like it's in the bag. And then Leon Edwards' coach tells tells him, Rocky, what are you doing, man? This isn't you. Like, get your ass together. You can do this. And Edwards comes out slow and steady. Not what you'd expect after that kind of uh, encouragement. But he waits for his moment. He throws a left and just right behind it. A nanosecond later, the left head kick. Kamar Usman, again, talk about being knocked out before you hit the canvas, except he fell backwards, unlike Tony Ferguson, who fell on his face. Um, my favorite part of this whole fight is that moment of the knockout, watching Leon Edwards celebrate, but hearing the commentary. Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier, you know, 
Corbia keeps saying, we were writing his obituary. He literally snatched victory out of the jaws of defeat. Like, it was epic. It was truly epic. You don't see those except in Rocky movies, those kinds of come-from-behind victories. The real question now, of course, is, well, we talked about Usman potentially being injured, but whenever they rematch, how is that fight going to look? Is it going to be, you know, Nunes-Pena 2, or is it going to be Usman Edwards, uh, a repeat of the first one, or something in the middle? I don't know, man, but that knockout was was just one for the for the history books. Now, I mean, personally, when we talk about these fights, I always love the aftermath. I love the fact that, like this, you said, you know, the obituary and all that. And in the moment, it's so exciting and shocking. And yes, I mean, we were talking about it like, oh, what's next? When Hamzat fights Nate and could that be the guy finally to give it to Usman? And then, you know, kabam. And, <laughs> and it's like, no, that that talks out the window now. Um, what I like about it is that obviously... um. Leon had kind of, he was the forgotten guy, right? You know, the yep. hype was around Colby. The hype was around Jorge. And now he's the guy who controls the conversation. Like, we're we're not talking about the Jorge. We're not talking about Colby. We're talking about who's fighting Leon. Leon make, calls the shots. Leon is the boss of the game now. And I, I think that's great for a guy who didn't have that, that now he gets to enjoy that. I, I think that's beautiful. Obviously, it was dramatic and... I like history. I wanted to see history. I wanted to see it for Usman. He had it in the bag. He's been so good for so long. I know. You know what? This is Leon's moment, though. Give it to the man. He's a nice guy who's just doing his thing, fights, kicks butt. Um, he's not afraid to try to uh, chop it up with the guys on social media who <laughs> mess with them. Um, props to him. It's beautiful to see. And uh, I-, I liked it. It was a good knockout for the drama of it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start talking about it. Submission, knockout, fight of the year. Um, like I said, I was going to bring this one up. I don't think it's any surprise. I saw a lot of people with it. Glover Tashira, Yuri Prohoshka. Um, we already discussed it, but just when you look at how much momentum each guy had every time, when Glover gets him down and it looks like Yuri's just eating shots and he's going to go out, when Yuri's lighting him up and he's doing damage and you think he's going to maybe get that finish early. And they do this back and forth for 25 minutes before Yuri gets that submission we talked about. To me, it's just still drama. Uh, to me, it's just... I don't remember a fight with so many dramatic momentum shifts. You know, like, sometimes, okay, like... Oh, like Peter Jan, Aljamain Sterling. Aljo's doing so good, but then Peter starts running away with it. Or, you know, Leon starts so good, then Usman's running away with it, and then he gets the finish. This one, every round was like, oh my gosh, this might be the beginning of the end. And then they just kept going until they didn't. That to me, you know, beautiful. Loved it. Fight of the year for me. What about you? Yeah, man, it really did have it all. The ups and downs. The drama, the you know near submission victory moments, the near knockout moments, and you're looking at someone in Glover Teixeira, the most unexpected champion, with his age, with his you know the length of his career, and this new samurai that comes in from from Poland, 
Czech Jury. Republic. I'm sorry, Czech Republic. I was thinking KSW. <laughs> he came from KSW though, right? Yeah. Okay. No, Ryzen. Ryzen. Oh, Lord. Samudio. Jan Blachowicz is Poland, KSW. <laughs> anyway, continue. No, no offense, gentlemen. None, none, none meant at all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, the gentleman from Czech, <laughs> the Czech Republic. But he's coming in with this crazy hairstyle, this very serene Zen personality, the warrior, and they clash, man. And it's just nonstop. It's, it's, you know, they're, they're fighting, but they're, they're never like brawling, if that makes any sense. It's never messy. Even if the, when they're tired, they're still able to dig down, plant their feet. You know, they're just like the two most composed warriors. And, and, and you saw who stayed the most composed in the end with, with Jiri getting that, that submission. You know, I think Glover gassed himself out with those punches that hurt Jiri right before that guillotine attempt and just had nothing left. Maybe he didn't expect Jiri to, to go in for the kill like that. I don't know, man. But it really was an epic fight. It, it truly was. You know, you see like John Wayne facing off a shootout with somebody. I can't think of a, of a good movie. But all the John Wayne movies, it was like that, man. It was just like young legend, old legend, and who's going to win? Yeah, it was quite the night. I mean, it just, uh, it makes, I know how I felt about the rematch, but the first fight, it's like, oh, that was just beautiful violence. It was great. What about you? Who do you have? I'm sorry. Who did I have for? The fight of the year. Oh, <laughs> I got confused. Yes. So that was a good one, man. That was, that was, I, I almost, I almost got up you there, but I have a strong, strong memory of watching um, Justin Gaethje fight Michael Chandler. And what I, and I've talked about this before. What I loved about it is, you know, it was that night when Trevor Whitman had three of his fighters on the same card, on the main card, right? It was Nama Yunus, it was Usman, and it was Gaethje. And everyone's talking about how the heck is Trevor Whitman going to do it? And then at the last minute, I don't know if it was, I think it was during fight week, right? It gets announced that Gaethje Chandler is not going to be the co-co. It's going to be the first fight of the card. Yeah. Of the main card. And so, you know, giving Trevor Whitman a little bit of breathing room so he's not just going back to back to back, give the man a chance to get some water. And you never see fighters of this caliber, you know, ranked as high as they were, open up a pay-per-view, right? When's the last time you can you see that? These guys came out, man. The crowd was going. They're standing there. They're like revving their engines, like ready to go. You know, they're both like athletic guys. And they're just like standing there, jumping around, bouncing around. And they just charge at each other. And it was just nonstop. It was like a demolition derby. They were getting after it. And like I said before about Michael Chandler, you know, he gives and gives and gives until he has nothing to give. And that results in, you know, his opponent always, almost always finding a way to finish him because he just runs out of steam. He never runs out of heart, though, and that's what I remember. Round three, he's bloodied up. He looks terrible, and he's calling for more. He's pointing to the canvas. Let's go. Let's do this. He's trying to pump up the crowd. You know, he doesn't get the win, obviously, but that was just a beautiful, perfect three-round fight, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, I think that um, we talked about it. They kind of said to Glover and Yuri, like Dustin said to uh, Yuri, hey, hold my hot sauce. You think you got fight of the year? Yeah, right. He yeah. gave it a great effort. He gave it a great effort. Um, the carnage. I think that if you talk about Glover and Yuri, one of the bigger differences outside of the stakes was the carnage in that fight. I mean, the blood, the 
the beat down of both of those guys really put on each other. The fact that Michael almost had Dustin out in the first. Yeah. Um, it, it made for so much fun. Um, I mean, Hamzat Gilbert Burns was pretty fun That's too. That's a good one too, man. They were getting after it. Yeah, but um, for sure, the carnage on that one. I think the anticipation, uh, the scene, that crowd at MSG was pretty good too, if I may say so. Um, you know, and then the anticipation. You knew they were going to put on a good one. I've now started saying it. There's three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and Michael Chandler getting into a banger at the garden. Yeah. Straight up. You know, so there we go. Um, uh, penultimate category, female fighter of the year. You know what? I feel like this is the first time you've actually given it to her. So let's hear it. <laughs> Come on. I know. I think I gave it to Angela Hill one year, right? <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about that year. I was shows. shocked. I like her. Anyway, um, this one, this one is funny, though, because I saw your pick and I was like, well, yeah, that that actually makes perfect sense. Right. Um because she beat Jan Jacek basically into retirement in June. Uh, she crucifixed Carlos Barza in the big, you know, um, first or second title defense of her career, Carlos Barza. You know, will she be able to get the title or to keep her title? And when you lose via crucifix, it's a little embarrassing, right? We can all we can all admit that. I mean, Shevchenko's done it multiple times to people. Cormier did it to Volk, uh, to Ozdemir, like. Nobody wants to lose that way. So Wei Li Zhang, uh, sorry, I'm giving away your pick. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I just realized that Wei Li Zhang, you know, was an excellent choice. But I went with Shevchenko because, yeah, you know, I haven't picked her yet, even though she's my favorite fighter. But coming off of that, um, that awesome interview that you did with her, <laughs> and how glorious she looked, I was like, you know what? It's my it's my time to finally give it to her. Look, the fight against Tyler Santos, as you as you mentioned earlier, it was close. She only fought once in 2022, that was a, and it was a close fight. Some people think it could have gone the other way. She won by split decision. I think she still did win. Um, but despite only fighting uh, once in 2022, somehow, through just her social media, Valentina Shevchenko just is like the most perfect fighter, woman, human, all combined together. She's always training. She's always doing something amazing with a gun or a car or dancing, and she's touring the world, and she still has time to defend her belt. She's just recovering from an injury. I think that's why she's been out for so long. But to me, she is uh, uh, the, the female fighter of the year because she's just Valentina Shevchenko. That's it. Back to you. It's about dang time, it's about man. Dang time, basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean... If I may say so, this is probably the worst year to give it to her. Okay. I know, I'm terrible. This is my worst that, category. I, I gotta say, it really is. What the heck? Yeah, but, I don't know no, uh, um, I'm gonna pick Ronda Rousey next year. Let me just. Uh, here's the thing. I mean, it, most dominant fighter still with the UFC title specifically. Uh, I'll say that. I think that um, it sets up for a big year. I, I think the biggest thing. I, I'll give her full credit. That was not going her way. Uh, she, at the end of the day, she did the damage. The eye started closing up, yep. started swelling. You do what you're supposed to do in that situation. Did it feel a little bit of like, hey, you know, is she usually winning because of that? No, she's usually winning because she's in cruise control. Yeah. That being said, hey, you take what you get in the cage. She didn't break any rules. 
It happened that way and she got the dub. Close, controversial. Did I feel like they were there's a little bit of like, hey, this has to be run back? Absolutely. That being said, um close fights, they go the way they go. They gave it to Valentina, props to her. I cannot wait to see if she could complete that one side of the UFC belt. I want to see <laughs> the animators of MMA social media put turn her into Thanos snapping it out as she collects all the stones. Um very cool in person, by the way. Exactly what you would imagine, Natalie. I highly recommend you meet Valentino already. I'm going to make it my life's mission. There you go. I think it would be a great moment for you, personally. <laughs> um, yeah, I went John Wei Lee. I think that... Uh, I considered Larissa Pacheco. Um, Chris Cyborg's always there. I think the thing about Larissa is the same thing when we talked about it. The fight with Kayla was obviously great. But I almost felt like the same thing you criticize about Kayla's schedule, you also have to criticize about Larissa's. Yeah, They're fighting the yeah. same women, um, more or less. Zhang Wei Li, even though you didn't think maybe that fight with Joanna would be a rerun of the first one, you still felt like you gave respect to Joanna. You gave respect to the fact that um, Wei Li was coming off those back-to-back losses to Rose, had something to prove showed she was still at a high level and then to take that one against Carla the way she did kind of just reminded people that like Rose Namajunas is Rose Namajunas let's not act like I'm not this amazing strawweight this amazing talent kind of mm-hmm. like Max Holloway Volk like Volk is so, like Max Holloway's Max Holloway he's so freaking good it's just there's a Volkanovsky in this world right same thing like Wei Li is so good. Rose Namajunas just happens to exist at the same time. Um, doesn't change the fact that they are both highly amazing. And Wei Li is the one that got to show just all of that. And, you know, respectfully, Rose, one fight wasn't her best showing this year. Yeah. So to me, it felt like you had to go with Wei Li. So that was my pick and why, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that as I already, you know, blew your pick at the beginning. Spoiled oh, the surprise funny. there. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, those those two victories, that's 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 plenty, um, and and she's, you know, Rose or Janjacek, obviously a legend, Carla Esparza, the way she's come back and you know basically, um, re you know just changed her her fight style, improved everything, come back and earned her shot, got the belt, you know, even though it was in a underwhelming fight um still someone you have to worry about and Whaley Zhang came in and just like made it look like cake just easy and so she's definitely um put on the best performances this year a female fighter for sure I mean it was just a great year I'm really down with it um last category male fighter of the year I really want to hear this one, Natalie. Because so you've, mean, you've had a few, but even this one, I was like, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no. This one, I thought this, this, is, a, this is a good one. How are you going to knock on it? Do you have to have, like, no losses to be I, the fighter of the year? Do I need to say that out loud? But okay, let, <laughs> I, I just want to hear your argument. Let's... Okay. Look, man. My pick is Charles Oliver. Yeah. So, um... 
Yeah, did he end the year with the loss on a loss? Yeah, but didn't he have like the craziest year ever? Uh, well, I guess the rise to okay. Let me back up. The year, the the build up to the year that he, to the build up to 2022, right? To get to the point where he was the man in 2022, no one saw him coming. Um, the way he just blitzed through the 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 fighters in 155 that were dominating, that were getting, you know, at this point have gotten. You think about Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, multiple title shots and lost. And Charles Oliveira comes in in 2021, fights Michael Chandler. I should have picked him for 2021. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Comes in, fights Michael Chandler, almost gets knocked out, ends up winning. Okay. Then he does it to Dustin Poirier, almost gets knocked out, ends up winning by submission. Then in 2022, the year that counts, he does it to Justin Gaethje. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just knocked out. A former Bellator champion, one of like a, a, a who who stormed into the UFC as an already top contender. You just you just choked out Dustin Poirier, who just got choked out by by Khabib. You just choked out Justin Gaethje, who just got um, submitted by Khabib by Khabib also, and you made it look easy. Not well, at the, the moment of victory, it looked easy. He faced a lot of trouble at the beginning by just you know eating some hard punches. And when you look at his physique, you don't expect him to have as much power as he does, but he does. He he hurts people with his punches. He knocks them down, and then, as you've seen with Dustin and Justin, chokes him out. Then the challenge in 2022, at the end of the year here in October, with Islam, everyone knew it was going to be a hard fight. But then it's like, you know, we always talk about levels to the game, and Charles Oliveira is there at the top. He's the king, beating all these guys. And then Islam flies in. And just makes it look easy. You know, I'm talking about Weili Zhang and Carla and how easy that was. Islam kind of made it look, I wouldn't say that easy, but he did kind of make it look a little bit. He handled his business for sure. Very efficiently. It was, you know, at that point, uh, Charles didn't have the belt anymore, even though, you know, it was taken away for, you know, missing weight by half a pound on some... uh, suspect scales that were recalibrated uh, when they shouldn't have been okay whatever the the reason is there he wasn't the champion anymore but a lot of people still regarded him as a champion so it almost felt like he lost the belt when he was defeated by islam but even though that's how he ended the year i still think looking back that he is the most unexpected surprising dominating champion that we've had in one at 155 Besides Khabib, now, now that Islam is the is the is the champion, though, like we said when he won the belt, it's going to be a long time before somebody beats him because he made it look so easy against Charles Oliveira. So, all that being said, as I uh, you know dig my grave deeper and deeper for picking Charles Oliveira, I'm going to stand by it. I was impressed by how he came into um, the end of the year, even though he lost. He's just a really exciting fighter, and what gets me over and over again is how unexpected, at least it was for me, maybe the whole world knew it was coming, but for me it was so unexpected the way he just kept beating these top guys. So anyway, back to you. I know you don't agree with my pick, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. I really do feel like you made a great argument for Islam Mahachev being fighter of the year as I listen to this. It's been a long month. (laughs) But you know what? Okay. You know, here's the thing. I love Charles personally. I love his story. I love his run. I think that it's... uh, 
Um, it's awesome. It's inspiring. It's a lot of those things that make a really beloved fighter, if I'm being quite honest with you. Um, I think that the strength of that Gaethje victory is pretty good. That being said, I just uh, I, I can't give him that one on um, the sheer fact that it... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I felt like if you were going to give it to Charles, then that would mean you should have to give it to Islam, no? But I respect that pick. I definitely get where you're coming from. Um, like with all of them, as much as I like to tease you, Natalie. <laughs> but um, for sure, uh, look, 11 fight win streak to get to that fight with Islam. Still did his thing against Gaethje. Still obviously a great ambassador for the game. Would love to see him in the... Um, in, on the Brazil card, obviously it's not going to happen, but would have loved to see it just because I think he deserves that uh, reception for all he's put in over the years. So yeah, Charles is great. I will reiterate though, I felt like you made a great argument for Islam. I, I kind of do. Yeah, which is all good, <laughs> which is all good. But um, yeah, I went with uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. I see a lot of the picks for Pereira. And I do want to say that um, Pereira easily could be the 1B in this one. I get it. For me, I felt like when you look at stylistically the opponents and the strength of schedule, even though Volk only had two opponents, I, you kind of look at it this way. Like for me, when you look at what Max Holloway did to Calvin Cater, and then you saw what Volk yeah. did to Korean Zombie, and it's like, oh my gosh, they are so freaking good the only person that makes them look human is each other, right? Yeah. And then, not quite the Korean zombie performance, but Volk goes out there in July and looks just ridiculous against Max. Just yeah. so good. Like, you know, he's not supposed to be able to do that to a guy at Max Holloway's level. I know. And he did that to a guy on Max Holloway's level. Like, we were saying they are 1A, 1B. no. One and two. I know they fought two times before. They were still 1A and 1B. That one, he officially put Max Holloway the number two guy. And that's saying something. Max has had three opportunities to figure out how to get a dub on Volk. And he has slowly started to look worse. Um, it, it's ridiculous. Um, you look at the strength of the schedule over the years. I give him that credit. The one thing on the Pereira victories, Bruno Silva's tough. The Sean Strickland one. I know Sean is doing good. I know he even just this year pushed Jared Cannonier two weeks ago pretty well in their five-round fight. Still had to have been one of the worst stylistic fights for Pereira, you know, for Alex. You know, or sorry, what I mean is for, um, for, for Sean. Sean. Yeah, for Sean. Like, you're talking about a guy who was always gonna destroy him on the feet and Sean somehow chose to strike with him I almost felt like that was the biggest softball you could get at this stage of the game even though knowing Sean is tough and well conditioned has that Nick Diaz type of style high volume pressure this and that probably was gonna talk some trash try to get in his head distract him all of that stuff, I felt like he was such a good fight for Alex that it felt like, okay, I can't give you that one. You you were always supposed to do what you should have done to Sean. Volk had Max Holloway in front of him. And Volk also 
looked the way you should look as the fighter of the year against a guy not on your level in Korean Zombie. That gave him the pick for me. What about you? Yeah, man, that's an excellent pick, <clears throat> especially when I think about you know the way he defeated Max Holloway in the third the third showing. That was easy, and we're talking a lot about the fighters that made it look easy against tough opponents. Um, my new pick for fighter of the year uh, is Islam Makhachev. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh. Yeah, MMA math, I should have picked him. I'm just going to go ahead and admit that I made a mistake. Um, but yeah, Volkanovski, man, he he just, just breezed past Holloway. It was crazy. And the athleticism combined with the power in a small, in a relatively small size, right? But then you, you, you go back into his history and you can never forget that he used to play rugby at like 220 pounds or some ridiculous number. So he has this ability to be small and fast, but incredibly strong. And, you know, the ability to be heavier and very effective, which I cannot wait to see him at 155. That's going to be one of the things I'm looking most forward to in 2023. So it's an excellent pick. He is. He just gets. He just keeps getting better, more slick, more fast, more agile, better striking, more power. Like he does it all. And now he's going to go to 155 to this, you know, shark pit that we were just talking about with Oliveira, Islam, Dustin, Justin Chandler. Like, it's going to be freaking amazing. I can't wait. Yeah, I think that it's a sleeper. One of the best fights to be made. I think just um. Because it's been such a slow burn for Islam, but that fight with Volk is so intriguing. Just mm-hmm. Islam has that that, that secret, that, just that powerful weapon, the best weapon on either side, that grappling, that ability to get you down and keep you there. But then Volk is so good at so many different facets of the game and the intrigue of, you know, will it all carry the way it should at 55? Uh, it, it's so interesting. I'm looking forward to it a lot. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um I think that I'll use that to segue to the final thing, just uh, uh, what's coming up next in 2023. Uh, I mean, my biggest thing, I want to see the return now that we are more or less in the post-COVID reality. I know early 2022, we were still like, I think I was still wearing my mask a bit, if I'm being honest with you. It just was that kind of year. But to me, I really want to see the return to trying to make these blockbuster events. I want to see them talk about stadium, talk about, um, you know, super fights and stacked mega cards. I know they've been doing a lot more of it, but, you know, I want to see that break up to the status quo. I want to see, let's try to build the, um, like the record breakers again, like Jones and Ganu. I think that's a good one. I'd love to see Jake Paul try the MMA thing just for the intrigue of that. Um, I'd love to see a little more co-promotion, Bellator and one of the other companies. I think that that could make for a lot of good stuff. And yeah, you know, I think that we have so much extracurriculars now. you got the Nate Diaz, Dylan Dennis, all these guys want to do the boxing thing. Okay, it just makes for more intrigue in combat sports in general, so... I'm just looking forward to that. I want these guys to actually get big fights so we could talk about big fights. I think that's my biggest thing. Um, What about you? I'm looking forward to more live events outside of the Apex for the UFC. I'm hoping Dana White um, meant what he said, you know, that they were going to be getting back out there. Um, 
I'm looking forward to some of these matchups, especially just looking at the early calendar. Teixeira, Jamal Hill in Brazil. Like, hello. And then the one we're just talking about, Islam Volkanovski in uh, in Australia. Like, these, these are going to be really like a really awesome start to 2023. And then as far as the rest of the year goes, you know, the big stars coming back and and putting on these big events, I'm with you there, and Ghani Jones. Like, even, I'm going to say it, even Conor McGregor, like, I'm feeling like we could be getting closer to seeing him back in the cage maybe by, you know, summer or end of 2023. At that point, you know, what kind of McGregor will we see? I don't know. It's not even worth talking about right now. But, you know, I'm thinking about the bigger names and, and how that's going to play out for this year. Shevchenko, Nunez. And, you know, to give some love to PFL too, let's see how Kayla Harrison bounces back from her loss, her first loss. So there's some good stuff there. Um, hopefully we see some more creativity from Bellator, from PFL, uh, and one, I, I'm going to make a MMA resolution to give more attention to one championship because I really like what they're doing. Um, I really have enjoyed watching it on Prime, so I'll leave it at that. Hey, I'm here for it. And they're making their U.S. debut. How about that in okay. like April or May? Yeah. Let's get it. So it's a big year coming up. We'll talk all about it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking around with us. Uh, next week's show, we will pr- talk about the latest in MMA news. I don't predict a lot because people are still on break, but we'll talk about it. And we'll preview UFC Vegas 67, the middleweight fight between Nasruddin Imavov and Kelvin Gastelum. Until then, take care. We'll see you next time. <laughs>